When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I think the next level really is all about winning. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much a 500 quarterback in my career so far, and I don't think uh, that's where you want to be, and that's not, you know, why you... You know, are, are brought in or, or people are excited about you. So um, if I don't play well, if I don't have gaudy statistics, but we win multiple playoff games this year, the narrative will be I went to the next level. And I may not walk off the field every day feeling like I did, but if we win, that's the life of a quarterback is, is you are at the next level. And if I have my best year yet in 2019, but we're 8-8, eight and eight, I didn't go to the next level. That was Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins today out at TCO Performance Center following a bit of a rough practice for the Vikings offense today, uh, as I guess you would expect, putting in a new offense. But there were some times where some heads were hanging a little low and some times where they had to huddle up again. And Kirk Cousins at one point angrily called a timeout and said, huddle up and so forth. Things that you see at minicamp. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, you know, everything else was uh, on point. The red ball was there. Um, they had tackling dummies. Yesterday, um, there was a cart that drove by with tackling dummies. Today, there was a cart with a bunch of uh, speakers on it that was uh, putting out crowd noise. So the players in many camp can start getting used to the crowd noise this is mini camping really hard today. Let's say that. Matthew Collard, Danny Cunningham, Jonathan Harrison is producing today. We have a special guest in the second hour for Hot Routes. Phil Mackey is going to be in for his first ever Hot Routes. Wow. So that's exciting. And coming up at 2.20, our random NFL reporter of the day is Joe Goodberry, who covers the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that I'm pretty intrigued with. But I want to start with what Kirk Cousins had to say in that soundbite. A more self-aware sounding Kirk Cousins talking about how his win-loss record will determine how he is seen by fans. And he couches it a little bit by saying, well, look, I mean, I might play really well, but if I win, uh, if I don't win, then you guys are going to say that I wasn't good. And it's that whole thing of, well, the the perception doesn't always match the reality of how someone plays in the NFL. And, and that's for sure true. But I think, Danny, this is a rare situation where it is completely a thousand percent fair 
to judge Kirk Cousins, at least what we know now, if injuries uh, on the defensive side could change this if the defense isn't what we think. But with the situation Kirk Cousins is in right now, it is the rare spot where he deserves to be judged by his win-loss record. He got the contract. He was supposed to be the next step for this team. Uh, the upgrade over Case Keenum talent-wise, which he is a more talented quarterback. They are supposed to go farther. And then the fact that they brought everybody back. Anthony Barr comes back. Everson Griffin stays here on a restructured contract. And now Kyle Rudolph returns. It is essentially the same squad that they were running out in 2017 that got to the NFC Championship. So I think, Danny, that usually QB wins can be a little bit flawed, but in this case, it's totally fair to say, look, win, and I won't even talk about anything else. It won't matter what your PFF grade is. It won't matter what your rating is, how many yards, how many yards per attempt. None of that matters as long as you win. That's what I was going to bring up, the the quarterback win-loss thing, and how much does that stat really matter? Because... That it seems like there's a pretty significant divide versus like strongly support or strongly don't support it. But there's no other way to judge him right now because he's been surrounded with talent. He's going to be surrounded with talents again this year. It's kind of put up or shut up time. You have to find a way back into the playoffs. And I think that you have to find a way not only into the playoffs, but you you can't just be in the wild card and out. You've got to be in the divisional round. You've got to try and find a way back to the NFC Championship game. It is, you are, you were brought in here, if you're Kirk Cousins, with a very expensive contract to come in here to win a Super Bowl for this franchise. Time's running out on that. You have to find a way to do it now. So there's a couple interesting questions off of that because generically, he says, I've got to win more. I can't be a 500 quarterback. And I just said the same thing. You've got to win. But what does that really mean? I mean, what would it take for us? to come away from the 2019 season saying, you know what, that $29 million cap hit or whatever it is this year, 28-29, that was totally worth it for Kirk Cousins this time around because he did blank. He got them to blank. They won X number of games. Because I'm trying to put it kind of in two different ways. Of One, what does he have to do to get there? And we'll talk about that. But where is there? For Kirk Cousins. I think there is a close NFC Championship game, the Super Bowl, or winning the Super Bowl. I don't necessarily think, if they advance in the playoffs, we're going to forget a lot about the regular season. Because that's not just going, it's just not going to matter. If you get to the playoffs, who cares what you did in the regular season? It's all going to be about what you did in January and February, and those games really mean so much more. So I think that you have to try and find your way to the NFC title game, and it's got to be closer than it was a couple years ago. It can't be a blowout loss. Or you have to find your way to the Super Bowl, and even if you lose there, it's still a successful season that every Vikings fan would take. 10 out of 10 times. Or... Obviously, every fan in America would be happy if their team won the Super Bowl, and that's no different here. So I was critical of him last year, naturally, as everyone was, including, this is where it's funny, because right at the end of the season, we got all these phone calls of people saying, he could have not done anything with that offensive line. It's the offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. And this offseason, the coach has said that he'll be better this year. Mm -hmm. The general manager said he needs to get to the next level. And the owner said he needs to be better. So I'm going to go ahead and say it was completely fair to criticize Kirk Cousins, especially when you go into Week 17 with a team that was pulling its starters late in the game, giving you a chance, 
and you don't come away with a win, especially at home. If it had been on the road against the Bears, we might look at it a little bit differently, but at home, to come up so short in that game, completely empty and to the point where you're still not on the same page with wide receivers, it was entirely worth the criticism that it got all offseason. The question for me, though, is if he had won that game and gotten to the playoffs, and had gotten them one playoff win, how would we have looked at last season? And I think that we would have looked at it as a major win for their first year for them. If they had matched what they did the year before, gotten themselves a playoff win, even if it was just wild card, with a team that was flawed and a team that was beat up and an offensive line that wasn't any good, as we went along last season, we realized, okay, this is not a Super Bowl team. Mm-hmm. With this offensive line, this, this is always the designation I've tried to make. They didn't make the playoffs because their quarterback didn't show up in Week 17 and other games, such as the Buffalo game, giving up two fumbles early. They didn't win the Super Bowl because they didn't have an offensive line anywhere close. So they couldn't go 13-3. and They couldn't go 11-5 and with that offensive line. But they could have gotten into the playoffs with slightly better quarterback play, a throw here, a throw there. And... If they had gotten into the playoffs and won a game, we would have said, well, you know what? Kirk Cousins did the best with what he had, and he couldn't have done much better than that. They didn't have a third wide receiver. Their offensive line lost people from the very beginning and wasn't very good. With this year, though, I think you're right, Danny, that it has to be the deep playoff run or it's disappointing. The statistics in the regular season are not going to matter. Even if the offensive line doesn't play well, they drafted you two offensive linemen out of the first four picks. They, they, They go out and get a tight end. They get you another weapon. And even though I thought that they could have done even more to pack weapons around him, they still spent their first four draft picks on offensive guys and gave him more to work with there. They gave him a coach who has had success every place he's ever gone in Gary Kubiak and who is credited for giving Joe Flacco one of the best years of his career, turning around Jake Plummer's career, giving Brian Greasy a chance. You are just Matt rattling Schaub. off names. I mean, Matt Schaub is a legit quarterback for several years and major part because of Gary Kubiak. And even our friend Sage Rosenfels had his best year down there with Houston and Gary Kubiak. So if it if it doesn't happen this year, then aside from catastrophic injuries to the wide receivers, I think we're only judging it on how deep you make it in the playoffs. I'm not even sure, and this is just the harsh reality of the situation, is I'm not even sure that the win-loss record even matters. You could go 8-8, eight and eight, have a deep playoff run, great season, Kirk. You oh, could that, go 13-3, yeah. oh, one and done. Bad season, Kirk. That's just how it's got to work with him. It's not fair, but that's the absolute truth. As long as they get into the playoffs and find a way to win once the games really matters, no one's going to remember the regular season, like I said. No one's going to remember if they win or lose Week 2 against Green Bay. No one's going to remember those things as long as they do go on a playoff run. But those things do become magnified if they say they go... 8-8 Eight and eight and losing the wild card round. Then all of those things get magnified. Oh, why weren't you? Why didn't you win the division? Why didn't you have a first round bye? Why didn't you do all of those things that could have set up for a, a deeper playoff run and more success when the games actually counted versus what actually did happen? But if they do go on that deep playoff run, then none of what happens in the regular season is going to be remembered because everything that's going to be memorable about this team is going to come in playoff games. And that's when Kirk Cousins is going to need to show up and produce wins. And now the question, the other question is, how does that actually happen? Yeah. Um, and 
that was part of his comments today that he's been spending time talking with the analytics department about things that he can do better things. So it's kind of an interesting comment here. And as uh, someone myself who is very interested in analytics in multiple sports, uh, but especially spend a lot of time uh, on the pro football focus and talking to those guys and learning from them and really truly understanding how to draw conclusions from statistics Cousins was talking about how the Vikings lost a remarkable amount of fumbles last year compared to how often they fumbled. He's not wrong. So I pulled this up and the 49ers fumbled 31 times and lost only 12 of them. Well, the Vikings fumbled 15 times and lost 10 of them. So, I mean, usually you recover more than half. Yeah. I think that there were only maybe two or three teams that, lost more than half of their fumbles, right? So uh, Seattle fumbled 18 times and lost four of them last year. So there's bad luck involved, for sure. Ball hits the turf, a lot of times quarterback just falls on it. If he gets strip-sacked or uh, just loses it in the throwing mode. Or the offensive lineman that got beat is normally there yep, and falls on falls the ball. On so. it. The Vikings had some bad luck with that, for sure. And there was one... Now I can't remember which, where it literally bounced right into the defender's hands and ran in for a touchdown. Maybe it was Seattle that that happened with Cousins. But here's another stat. So so Cousins is saying, hey, look, I mean, we've got to recover them or it's also bad luck. And I agree with that 50% of the way. But here's another stat for you that needs to be part of the conversation is Kirk Cousins was 24th in terms of taking the snap to throwing it, how much time he was holding on to the ball. 24th in the NFL, with about the third worst or second worst offensive line in the NFL. And a lot of it, this passes your eye test, sitting in the pocket, patting the ball, not being able to find where he's supposed to go with it. I mean, if that's not part of your reasoning, then you're making a mistake there, I think. Then you've yeah. missed something. If you're just saying, well, it wasn't my fault. I mean, I fumbled just like everybody else, and we just didn't pick him up, and that's bad luck. Okay, that's part of it. The other part is you hanging in the pocket for that long is part of the cause of your fumbles. So I think that something like that is not going to change. Well, how much do you think it does change in a new offense? Because that could be a reason as to why he's hanging on to the ball. Maybe he wasn't as comfortable in the offense last year as he could be in the offense this year. That could change the the amount of time. And you said he was, what, 24th from time of catching the snap to releasing the ball, right? Yep. Maybe he goes up to 12th. Maybe he, he goes up to 18th even. And then how many fumbles does that cut back on? That could also change. And then maybe they do. Maybe they don't get nearly as unlucky, which we both agree that was part of not recovering all the fumbles, is that you, you get a little unlucky. That changes things dramatically, just those two things alone. Yeah, the play actions and the more emphasis on play action certainly is going to help him. Because if he's running bootlegs all the time, then he's running away from a lot of the pressure. Or if they do pressure you, it's often right in your face, so you can just throw the ball away. Yeah. Although he did throw an interception in a similar situation of that uh, last year. But normally, that's kind of the design. That's that's why they do it. They roll the quarterback away from where the pressure is going to be, and they try to make it difficult on the defensive line and give him more time to throw, and especially to process and to let uh, receivers get deep into their routes and get open and and all those things. That's kind of how it works. Um, But where I still have the same concerns about Kirk Cousins as a winner, as I always have, are two areas. One, the red zone, Mm -hmm. where he's had some pretty mediocre numbers, and on third downs, if they don't run the ball a ton better than they did last year, they should run it better. But you're still going to end up with third and long sometimes. You can't use play action third and long. No one is buying it. 
you have to sit back there and make a throw. And last year, that was one of his biggest issues, and they didn't go get another wide receiver to help him out on those third downs. So it's still going to be doubling Thielen. It's still going to be doubling Stephon Diggs. And you sometimes have to take a risk and, and make a tight window throw that he can make with his arm strength, but he doesn't seem to want to make with his brain. That's where the fundamental things about Kirk Cousins, I think this is why his record is what it is, aside from some of the Washington defenses were not great. But I think that that's a big part of it, is some of his shortcomings just come in the bigger situations, especially third downs. We were talking about Teddy Bridgewater the other day. In Bridgewater's two years, he's one of the best third-down quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I think everyone could see why. He can make the tight window throws, the anticipation throws. He can run for a first down. This is something Cousins can't do where most NFL quarterbacks are. So uh, just kind of going into way too much detail there. But uh, yeah, I, I think it goes, the actual winning goes into, in the situational stuff where he was poor last year, it has to be better. And I don't know how much better it can be. But we have to talk. Some Cincinnati Bengals football. Oh, yeah. Daniel. We'll AFC take, North, baby. Got to take a break. Joe Goodberry, who writes about the Cincinnati Bengals for The Athletic. He also does the Lockdown Bengals podcast. He is our random NFL reporter of the week. We'll continue the minicamp conversation after that, along with uh, what Kirk Cousins had to say today. We will be right back. Here on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect. Take yours. Well, you know, the fumbles come to mind. I just think that um, what, what came out, they said, was that what you had was you had fumbles lost. They said your actual fumbles were pretty on par, which, again, you want to be in the lower half of the league, right? So to be on par still isn't good enough. But they said the problem is is yours were lost. You know, the other team recovers them, whereas some guys will fumble and they'll fall on it or an alignment or fall on it or whatever. So I said the key is if you fumble, you can't lose it, you know, and, and so those are good statistics to have. And then you go back and you look with your coaches at what are the fundamentals that I can change to prevent what those numbers are, are saying. That is Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins there, Matthew Collar, Danny Cunningham, uh, looking for Joe Goodberry, who covers the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll see if we can get him on the line soon. So we'll continue this conversation Um Here's what just happened to me, Danny. I just ended up, because of something Rami said yesterday, back down the rabbit hole of Teddy Bridgewater. So I, to peel back the curtain a little bit here in the studio, during the break, I went out and I grabbed a a glass of water because I was thirsty, a little bit parched. Before I left the room, you started talking about Teddy Bridgewater. When I came back, you had not yet taken a breath. No, I was still And I was gone for two and a half in minutes. In Declan's direction. He's over there shooting today. And uh, even though we're Declan and I are on the same page on this. It's just, it's, it's one of the real fascinating cases, though. This relates entirely to Kirk Cousins mm-hmm. and the statistics. And Cousins' bigger point today was... It's not even going to matter if Kirk walks off the field and says, oh, man, I didn't have a great game, but we won 16-14. to 14. It does not matter. And it seems to have finally sunk in for Kirk Cousins. Like last year, there were times where you felt like he was a little bit indignant about it. I mean, even in his first 
uh, press conference where he was asked about the win-loss record. And he said, well, you know, I mean, a lot of things can happen. And, you know, there's injuries and there's defense and it's not, you know, there's kickers. It's a team game, that whole thing. Not untrue. Sure. But in the NFL, you own your record. And especially over a long period of time with quarterbacks, this is what always frustrates me when people say, oh, quarterback wins, they don't matter, and things like that. Like, really? Well, let's pull up the quarterbacks with the most win ever. Any good ones in there mixed in? Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, John Elway? Those like, are three guys okay any guys. Good? You know, um, so it's like, well, usually the best quarterbacks are going to win more than they're going to lose. And there are things that go underneath the traditional fantasy statistics that tell you more about why certain guys win and why certain guys don't. So a little while ago, this was back in February, I started poking around some Teddy Bridgewater stats because I had heard from someone that Sean Payton really, really likes Teddy Bridgewater. And we had their reporter on from ESPN with the Saints who said that, oh, he's the guy. Like, after Breeze is done, he's the guy. So um, just it was interesting to find out that with a clean pocket, when he was not pressured, Teddy Bridgewater had a quarterback rating in between Brady, Roethlisberger, Rodgers, and Rivers. It was right in between those quarterbacks. Those are those are not four pressured. pretty good quarterbacks that if you're Teddy Bridgewater, you're very happy to be in the same breath as those guys. The problem was he was pressured about 47% of the time not because TJ Clemmings was his tackle. He was, this is just a bunch of stats that I threw out there. Number one in adjusted completion percentage. PFF had him number two in accuracy when he was pressured. And uh, his two tackles gave up over 100 pressures combined, just themselves. And he led the league in throwaways in part because of those pressures. When he was throwing towards Stephon Diggs, he had a 97 quarterback rating to Rudolph, 106 to to, uh, Jerry's right, 106. Anyway. Just putting it all aside, those are things that win you games. The combination between the third downs and the pressure accuracy and stuff like that, uh, the fact that he could run for first downs, it sort of solidifies the point that it's a lot of things that Kirk Cousins didn't do well last year in big situations. So I think that it goes beyond just, oh, well, it's going to be a new offense. Oh, there's some better pieces around him. That's all true. Mm -hmm. But if he doesn't, improve his play on third down and eight, for example, or in the red zone, for example, you're going to end up with a lot of the same frustrations with Kirk Cousins, I think. Yeah, that's that's and at that point, I think that you're calling this era a failure if that if those are the same frustrations, because then if those are the frustrations, it also means you're probably not winning games. You're probably going to be a team that's on the outside looking into the playoffs or one that barely squeaks in and is a one and done in the wild card round. And that's a failure. There's no other way to put it. So, yeah, you have to get rid of those frustrations. You have to find a way to convert third and eight. And not to bring Teddy into this, but the way that Teddy was always able to. That That's exactly what Kirk's going to have to do. It is amazing, his third down stats between 2014-2015. You think about it, uh, Norv Turner was running the ball on first and second with Adrian Peterson yeah. and uh, having Teddy Bridgewater make plays. So I know that there are some people who listen to the show, who listen to the podcast, who are like, let it go with Bridgewater, man. But why it's so interesting to me is not because um, Teddy and I are boys or something. Actually, the coincidence of the situation is that I've only actually covered three passes, I think, by Teddy Bridgewater that came against Cincinnati when he returned. And he and I had one conversation at his locker. And so, like, I I barely got to even really see Teddy Bridgewater. Sounds here. like your boys. But where it's so interesting is... 
that it pulled back the curtain for me on fantasy stats versus real play. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of examples I could give this uh, for this point. It's that Blake Bortles threw 35 touchdowns. Like, who cares? The guy was awful and didn't win anything, right? And so I, with Kirk's point, he has to, it seems, and he has, understand that 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns doesn't mean a thing. Yeah, And especially when it gets held up, I'm always kind of baffled, like, Patrick Mahomes through fifty and five thousand, like the four thousand and thirty is That's so just crazy okay today. to think about. Just what Patrick Mahomes did last year, like that is unbelievable. You saying those numbers right now, I know it's wild because it's not something that we think about every day. But you saying those numbers right now, like someone actually just did that. So here's a question for you What's pertaining up? to this. So the situation with Cousins, we laid it out in the first segment. You have to win. You have to get in the playoffs. You probably have to win a playoff game, and if you won your division and have a great record, maybe that takes you to the NFC Championship game, and yeah, you probably can't get blown out. Like At some point in this three years that you're here, that's got to happen for it to be a success. That's what they paid for. I don't even think it's just a playoff win, because if you're a wild card team, it's two playoff wins. You have to get back to that NFC title game for me. If you get a bye, and you win a playoff game, and get to the NFC Championship game, that's fine. But if you're in the wild card round, and you lose in the division round, I don't think that that qualifies as a success. You and I might see that differently but for me it is nfc title game or more or bust then we get into more nuanced points then we get into how did you actually play sure because if they win a playoff game 16 14 and then lose the next week 35 to 3 then it wasn't a success to get that one playoff win if they lose 35 32 and kirk cousins is great and he's going back and forth there and rogers and rogers comes out with the ball last and wins well okay then you still had a great season, Kirk Cousins. The defense let you down. So it, it gets a little more complicated if we're actually in that scenario. But here's my question for you. How many other NFL quarterbacks are in this same situation where if they do not reach the NFC Championship this year or AFC Championship this year, that their fan base is going to look at that quarterback and say, failure. That's bad, a bad uh... year. Because I, I was... Initially, in my mind, I thought, oh, I bet it's a ton, right? Because everyone thinks right now in minicamp, our team's going to be the best and we've got to win and expectations are high. But realistically, I can't actually come up with that many. I, I think it is in Kansas City, you could say it's a failure if the Chiefs don't get there. You could say it's a failure in New England if that doesn't happen. You might be able to say that in Cleveland with think, everything that they've done. I don't know if Cleveland's right I, there I with the say pressure Cleveland. because they haven't had that success that those other places have yeah. had. But I could understand if you say Cleveland. It's also rookie rookie quarterback contract. And anytime you're on a rookie quarterback contract, I don't think the answer is we're, we're absolutely desperate for this to happen this year. Here's my thing about New England. They could go one in fifteen this year. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, they've they've just done so much winning. Nobody can say anything. If Tom Brady completely falls off, and by the end of the year he's throwing passes with his left hand because his right shoulder is shot, everyone's gonna be like, "Tom's still the best." Doesn't matter. It's it w- okay. It would be disappointing. It would be disappointing I, I, I because think- of how great they've been. But for them, it's not the same as it is for the Vikings who have zero Super Bowls. Yes. There's a different level of pressure there. I think the Packers have to be men- be mentioned there. Totally They've got agree a new with the coach. Packers. They haven't been to Super Bowl in so many years. Aaron Rodgers hasn't been himself the past two years. So those things, you have to think about that. Drew Brees, probably his last year. I think that it's a very similar situation. You can say it about most of the NFC South. 
I don't think you can say it about Tampa Bay, but you can say it about Atlanta. You can say it about Carolina. You can say it about New Orleans. You can say it about Russell Wilson, who just got that new contract, where it is a you have to win when you're getting paid that type of money. Maybe Indianapolis with Andrew Luck. So you, I think you can say this, Philip Rivers in with the Chargers, the not San Diego Chargers. I would agree on Philip Rivers. So let's so let's get our list here. Ones that we definitely agree on. Did you say Rams? Because I think the Rams. I had are not abs- gotten to the Rams. Absolutely, yet. there. I, I was still rattling because, some off. I feel like so many teams qualify for this. Yeah, maybe. But the Ram. I think the Rams are on the list too. They but, were but in the Super Bowl ha- last year. It has to be both true and reasonable. Like with Pittsburgh, is it really reasonable that Pittsburgh should set their expectation at the NFC Championship without Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell? Like, I don't know. I don't I think, think that Mike Tomlin's I mean, going to get fired by week eight. That that could happen. So I don't I don't put them in that category. I and the same thing with even a team like Baltimore. If Lamar Jackson takes a step back to ultimately take a step forward because they put him in more of a real NFL offense, they're not going to go. Ah, well, it's over because Lamar Jackson. You know, but he, well, he's got more years to go. A lot more years to go. It's the same rookie contract thing that you brought up when I brought up Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and you can't like if you're going to say that about Baker, where there's not pressure because he's yep. not getting paid like that. I think that probably qualifies for all of those guys from that draft class. All right, we're going to get Joe Goodberry here. Let's make our list uh, real quick, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll get Joe to talk about Cincinnati. So, if the qualifications are this, that you have to be now the, the difference I'll say with Jared Goff is that this is the last year of his rookie deal. Yeah, I think is that right. 16, 17, 18, 19, and then fifth year option you yeah. can play on, but more likely we are, we are in, it is time for an extension. Right. We're, we're getting to that time with Jared Goff. Dak yes. Prescott is getting an extension too. That's but, another guy I think going to bring up. That being that uh, the Rams might be able to be good for a long time if their offense continues to be this good. That's where the difference is. With the Vikings, just looking at how this team is structured, it's like you got two more years really. Most of your stars are getting a little up there in age, and then you've got to retool after that. I'm not saying they have to tank, but they have to retool. So I guess New Orleans, Atlanta feels like this, Green Bay feels like this, and maybe I would believe Pittsburgh based on Roethlisberger's age, but I kind of don't believe them. Philadelphia might be like yeah, this too. I was going to ask you because if you of the age that of some of their stars, and he just got a record contract extension too, so that has to come into play. And the Chargers for sure. All right, we're going to take a break. We will talk with Joe Goodberry. He is our random NFL reporter of the week when we return here on Purple Daily. I think it's helped to understand my teammates. It it does feel like I'm starting over a little bit every year because you have new teammates, new system in this case in some ways, and so it does feel a little new. But uh, more outside of football, things have settled down, which is a really good thing. You know, consistency really helped. Now, it's time to take you on a journey to a random NFL city for a football breakdown you didn't need. Down and dirty, rolling in the mud. I remember telling Manny, we're going to do this thing where we have a random reporter from a random city, and I just want that football noise. <laughs> like, and He found it. It's Great. so good. Great. That open is one it's, of the best things that we air at Score North. It is perfect. So our random NFL reporter this week comes to us, uh, covers the Cincinnati Bengals for The Athletic, does a podcast called Locked on Bengals. Joe Goodberry. What's up, Joe? Hey, guys. How you doing? 
Oh, we're doing okay. So we were just having a conversation, Joe, about Kirk Cousins and how this year is kind of unique in that his statistics won't matter to anyone. If he has a good year, PFF grades, QBR, whatever, it doesn't matter unless he wins. And he talked about that today at minicamp. I'm wondering if you feel the same about Andy Dalton there in Cincinnati. Kind of different. I think we expect Dalton to actually perform a little bit better, but maybe not have the wins. And that's because of a new coaching staff. And typically with that, it's a roll of the dice. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, but a, a very young coaching staff, they may come out of the gates slow. And, and even if they, uh, you know, eventually get their legs under them, it, it may be a little bit too late to, you know, make a playoff run. I mean, first year head coach, you shouldn't expect that anyway. So, for Andy Dalton, I think we, we would like to see him get back to 2015-type production. And if he can do that, then you'd at least have some hope with two years left on his contract right now. If, if he does produce that way, the team may be interested in, in extending him. But if he doesn't, I think it could be a soft reset at the quarterback position. So for the first time, Joe, since 2002, the Bengals are opening up training camp and will be playing games with Marvin Lewis not on the sidelines. How different have things been for this organization with someone else running the show now? Completely different. It's weird because you don't know what you don't know because it was so long with Marvin Lewis, 16 years. I mean, I was 16 years old when he got hired. And now that when you look at it, it's like, uh, you know what is going to be different i don't know what what different looks like so it's not it's it's not until you know you really get into it and you say okay well the tempo's a little different the attitude's a little different they'll get the response from some of this these position groups are a little different and i i think it's overall just trying to have a fresh outlook and a, a fresh start with this entire franchise even though a lot of the players are still the same it wasn't the typical um hit the reset button when you get a new coach and wipe the slate clean with half the roster this was let's keep most of the roster let's bring on a few guys let's try and nail the draft and let's see how far we are from actually competing again because i think the organization looked at it like marvin did a lot for the for the organization bringing them out of the depths of hell but they reached their their limit with him or or their their maximum potential let's see if this core roster can go a little bit further under a new direction Talking with our random NFL reporter of the week, Joe Goodberry. He covers the Cincinnati Bengals for The Athletic, also does the Locked On Bengals podcast. So, Joe, now, are you uh, buying into a new coaching staff um, getting the most out of Andy Dalton? Because you mentioned that 2015 year. But what's interesting to me about that 2015 year is just how great the supporting cast was around oh, yeah. Andy Dalton. And even though A.J. Green is still there, Joe Mixon might be an emerging star, it's not the same as that. It's not the same. You get to remember, go back, it was a top-five offensive line at the time. And since then, they lost Andrew Whitworth and Kevin Zeitler, probably two top-five players at their position, guard and tackle. And then it was A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, Mohamed Sanu, the uh, tight end Tyler Eifert was healthy all year, which we haven't seen since or before that. Uh, Jeremy Hill and, and Giovanni Bernard in the backfield, that was a good group of, of weapons around him. And, yes, it's not as good. But Tyler Boyd took a step in, in year uh, three last year and looks like a legit slot receiver. I mean, a good slot receiver, which I didn't expect coming from him out of college. But he surpassed my expectations. John Ross, for his issues, but being a not number nine overall pick, he at least has a talent and a trait you can exploit defenses with. And he scored seven touchdowns last year for all of his warts outside of that. Uh, and you look, and yes, I do think Joe Mixon is a budding star. And if you put him in a Rams offense, which I think it, that's what it looks like from when you're watching them and what they're practicing, maybe 80% install so far, you say this is 
they're going to try and run a Rams offense. And if that's the case, I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Mixon, and if you're a Vikings fan listening to this right now, you got fantasy drafts coming up. Joe Mixon's going like the last two picks in the first round into the middle of the second round. If you don't feel comfortable and you're picking like fifth, sixth, seventh, go ahead and take Joe Mixon. I think he's going to have a, a, a breakout year, and he already led the AFC in rushing last year. So if that's the case, if, if they can ride him, and if the three receivers can stay healthy, that's the biggest thing, and, and produce and John Ross takes even a, a marginal step in year three, well, then that, the weapons around him are pretty good again. And, and sticking with the offense, obviously, A.J. Green had a bit of a down year last year where he only played nine games, was hampered by that toe injury for most of, se- most of the season. What's his status right now? And I do know he's entering the final year, that four-year deal. What's the expectation for him, not only now, but moving forward with this organization? He just got cleared to practice. He, he had surgery on that toe. It was something he dealt with before. And when he got injured, it was, well, you can play, but we're kind of losing now. Or you can you can have surgery now and be ready for camp. And he chose to, to be out earlier last year, missed the final seven games or so, and now he's back and cleared. He looks fine. He says he feels no pain. There's been no setback. So I think they just want to make sure he's healthy, and then I think they plan on extending him and giving him that rare third contract for a receiver. He's going to be 31 years old. He's still really good. Uh, by week two last year, he had four touchdowns. He started one touchdown versus the Colts, three versus the Ravens, and everyone's like, career year again, and then he gets cut short. Honestly, I think his two best career years were, were uh, 2016 and, and 2018. Both were cut short because of injury. And, you know, I, I think evaluation-wise, if you throw away the production there and you just look at evaluation what you see on tape, I still think he's a top 10 receiver in this league, and I don't think you're going to be able to easily replace him if they decide to let him walk. The problem is Tyler Boyd, who I mentioned, is also in the last year of his deal. If you sign two guys after you spent the number nine pick on John Ross, yeah, he's still a question mark, but that means you're giving two premium contracts out to to the receiver position while also paying John Ross a decent deal. They understand Andy Dalton needs weapons around him, but you know that's really putting it forward there. Joe, the uh, AFC North is one of the most interesting divisions to me because I don't know what I'm getting from Lamar Jackson year two. The Cleveland Browns have all the hype. The Steelers have all the drama. How would you rank your AFC North teams right now? I think talent-wise, I'd I'd be silly not to say the Browns. And you look at it, and the the skill positions, the offensive line, and they have some issues at the tackle spot. But overall, I think that that offensive side of the ball is really good. If, If Baker Mayfield takes that step, that should be a, a top unit on that side. And the defense is okay for the most part. I think that defensive line could take over some games if they all mesh together. So I really like the Browns. I just think they also come with the most noise. And I've seen that from the, a Bengals perspective, derail some good rosters before. So they're going to have to figure out how to win first and then win. So I, I think even though they could be a team that, yeah, if they go 12-4 and four like the Chiefs last year, where all of a sudden the second-year quarterback is MVP of the league, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Then easily they're, number, they're the number one team in the division. But uh, I kind of am waiting to see them do it first, and I don't think that's unreasonable. The Steelers are always there, always competitive, always interesting. Uh, I think they, defensive-wise, may be the worst defense in that division, and that's going to hold them back again like it did last year. I think the Ravens are a complete wild card. They're very interesting to me. How much of this option offense are they going to really dive into and, and commit to? It seems like they brought in the Georgia Tech coach, the, or the, the old Georgia Tech coach, to, to give them some tips and some pointers on it. And then Lamar Jackson says, oh, I didn't know we were going to have a new offense this year. So I don't know what that means. I don't know how far they're going to go with it. But the defense should be good again for them and probably the best defense in the division, and that should keep them in it. 
And the Bengals are a complete wild card. And if you're ranking them number fourth in that division, I have no problem with that because uh, they're coming off three years in a row where they've been poor. And, and we're hoping that the difference between Marvin Lewis and a, a the right coach, if it is the right coach in Zach Taylor, brings them to a nine-win team. And if that makes them the number three team in the division, then I could see that. Joe, I'm, I'm curious before we wrap up here, um, you've been writing about the Bengals for a long time, and you saw Mike Zimmer there as the defensive coordinator. What, what did you make of him at the time as a defensive mind there? And uh, what have you thought of just what he's done in Minnesota since he's left? I thought Mike Zimmer was the man, just personality-wise, um, for the sound bites and the, and the quotes, but also you could tell the players respected him tremendously and played harder for him. I remember Terrence Newman uh, coming to Cincinnati after Dallas, and he, he ultimately went to Minnesota too. But uh, Newman said the couple years he was in Dallas without Zimmer were just he didn't feel as motivated, he didn't feel like the coaches were on him enough, and he kind of wanted it. And it was just a perfect marriage with Mike Zimmer, and other guys echoed those those sentiments. And Newman had a really good bounce back career with the Bengals and also played well for the for the Vikings down the stretch. So I see players rally around him and play play better for him. Uh, I liked his personality and attitude. It's kind of funny because at the time the Bengals also had Jay Gruden as a hot coordinator, and people were asking were asking uh, Bengals writers at the time, who, well, who do you like better? Who do you think is going to have the more success? And honestly, I was like, I don't know. I I think they're both good at what they do. Uh, but I'm not sure that it, it, it's probably going to depend on the coordinators they put around him. And while I think Mike Zimmer has had some success there and then uh, ultimately lost their offense coordinator to the Giants, but, uh, you know, if, if they could rebound in that position, I think the Vikings are right back in it and everyone's going to feel good about Mike Zimmer. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you in, in terms of getting the most out of the defense, and you really see it with players wanting to come back. Guys restructuring yep. contracts, taking less, that's not a mistake, and you're right about Terrence Newman, who joined Zimmer's staff for a year after he retired. So that relationship really shows through uh, in the results. Joe Goodberry, you could follow him at Joe Goodberry, spelled exactly how you think it is. Uh, his work at the Athletic Cincinnati, the Locked On Bengals podcast as well. Hey, Joe, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep, for sure. That's uh, Joe Goodberry, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. I've been following him. I'm not going to say he was an original follow, but for probably seven years on Twitter, which makes me think of just how long we've had Twitter in our lives. It's been around for quite a while. That's an impressive amount of commitment from you. Seven years for a follow. Joe does good football stuff, man. If you do good football stuff and you don't share too many food opinions, especially not political opinions, too many of them... What what, then, what do you uh, what do you dislike more on Twitter, food opinions or political opinions? Mm, depends on the political opinion. Ah, I I'm going to say that. <laughs> but even if you're a football reporter and you are tweeting constantly about this or that, it's like okay. I mean, look, I get it, I get it, I get it. It's a uh, trying times in America, but you're a football reporter, and I kind of follow you for football. I'm not saying you're not a citizen. I'm not saying you can't make statements about certain things, but if it's all day, all the time then, all right, I'm going to have to use that old mute button or something. Football. Football. That's what we're looking for. Okay. Um, rapid fire, as fast as you can think of them. Ask me many camp questions. Whatever you come up with. It doesn't matter if it's a good question or not. What were, what went wrong offensively today? Everything. Everything? Every, in all seriousness, yeah, it was a rough day for the offense. Um, I wouldn't make much of that. I just think that what Kirk Cousins was trying to convey after uh, the practice was this is truly a new offense. Just because I have familiarity with these concepts from McVeigh, 
and uh, Shanahan does not mean that the Gary Kubiak-Kevin Stefanski offense is the same as the Shanahan offense that he got to in Washington in whatever it was, 2012. And there were some bumps in the road for sure today. And the other thing, too, Sean Mannion, I think, threw three picks today in practice, which doesn't really matter. And one of them, pretty clearly, I think the receiver didn't really do his job, but... That backup quarterback competition is going to be worth watching. I think Mannion is the better player than Kyle Slur, but if he doesn't play well, especially in preseason, well, then he won't be here. Did they come away from today healthy? Uh, kind of. Kind of. I need more information. If you're giving me a kind, I need to hear where so, they didn't. Here's what Vikings fans don't want to hear happened in practice, but it did. Xavier Rhodes was kind of limping around. And last year, that was all, whatever, 14 weeks that he played was every game Xavier Rhodes was limping around and today he was standing on the sideline he was trying to stretch it out and things like that and then he would go in there and he would run one play and he would kind of half run and then sort of look like he was stretching out in a little bit of pain or whatever I wonder with him he's such a big body the corners are usually not as big as safeties and that's how big he is if it's going to continue to be an issue. It's only minicamp. He gets six weeks off after this, but that's a red flag anytime you see it. Aside from his injury today, how did the defense look? Well, the defense always looks good. I mean, camp and training camp, this this defense has been together for so freaking long. Like, almost everybody from 2015 is still here, except for retired players like B-Rob and Terrence Newman. They all know the defense super, super well. They communicate super well. It's the same. See, this is the thing about one advantage to hiring an offensive coach is you get the same offense year after year. Yeah. And usually it takes a spectacular defense for someone to come and take your defensive coordinator. I'm not saying the Vikings made a mistake. They've won a lot of games with Mike Zimmer, but that is just one of the clear advantages. And the defense for the last two years in minicamp has just been way better than the offense. How uh, how did Laquan Treadwell look in practice today? There is that competition for number three I know, wide receiver. There really is. What was the latest there? I've started to more think of it in terms of who isn't in the conversation as opposed to who is right now. Because I think it's Brandon Zilstra, Chad Beebe, Dylan Mitchell, Laquan Treadwell. Maybe I'm missing somebody, but I think that those guys are going to be the ones that stand out. Um, somebody like B.C. Johnson... I don't know. Seventh round draft pick. He hasn't really looked like he's stood out a whole lot. Jordan Taylor has not participated. And there was a bunch of articles about how Jordan Taylor is standing out and that sort of thing. But I don't know. I mean, he's got like 20 catches in two years with Denver. I mean, it's the same sort of thing as bringing in um, Tavares King last year. Like, oh, this guy played before. Maybe he's secretly good. Like, Maybe. Probably not. You never know. Anything else that was a, a big deal that came away from today that I have not asked you about as we wrap up this hour here? Um, No, not really. Uh, Mike Hughes still working out on the other side of, uh, you know, just they got the thing where they wrap it around his waist and then he runs. It's like a bungee cord thing. Um, but aside from that, no, no injuries that I could tell. Just that the offense, I think the biggest story is they sputtered, struggled, whatever you want to say, and we'll see what they do tomorrow, but it doesn't make much of a difference. It's just it tells you that there's a lot of work to be done. So 
Thank you, Danny. Great line of questioning. Appreciate that. You're welcome. We're doing all that with a Woj bomb being dropped in the middle of it. What's the Woj bomb? Oh, that the Celtics and Lakers are both engaged in trade talks with New Orleans for Anthony Davis. Oh, okay. So we could right. we could get some action here real shortly, folks. Uh, we're going to make history when we come back here. Not really. Uh, but Phil Mackey is doing his first version of Hot Routes. So it's going to be pretty special. When we return, you will want to stick around. You are listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have plenty of Christmas trees to make your holidays even more magical. Hundreds of full, easy-to-assemble artificial trees that look so real, you may be convinced they actually are. And for those who love that fresh pine smell, we have a parking lot full of fresh-cut trees to call your own. We'll even help you load your tree in the car so you can bring home the holidays. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. 